Hello and welcome to Holistic Health Chats, a podcast where we chat about all things holistic women's health and everything in between. I'm your host, Selene Douglas, a women's health nutritionist with a focus on helping women to heal holistically and live pain and symptom free. I'm so happy that you've made your way here. Tune in every week so we can listen, learn and be inspired together. Hello and welcome to another episode of Holistic Health Chats. This is part three in the Preconception and Pregnancy series, a solo series where I'm going to be covering all different types of topics and issues inspired by my clients' preconception and pregnancy journeys, as well as my own. In this week's episode, we're going to be covering the oral glucose tolerance test, what it is, when it might not be the best option, when it might be the best option, and also what some great alternatives are, which you might not have known existed. Before we get into this week's episode, if you are currently wanting to get personalized advice to support you with your preconception or pregnancy journey or your hormones, the best place to start is booking in a complimentary consultation. So in this consultation, We spend 15 minutes together on Zoom and we will discuss your current health goals or challenges, what you can really expect from consultations with me, the likely timeframe to expect in order for us to achieve these goals together. And of course, we can cover any questions or queries that you might have. So if you're wanting to go ahead at the end of that 15 minutes, we find a time together for your initial consultation. But equally, if you need time to think about it, that is perfectly okay okay too. There's absolutely no pressure. If you would like to book in a complimentary consultation, all you need to do is head over to selendouglas.com forward slash links and navigate to the book now section or click the link in the show notes. You'll also find a direct link to the complimentary consultation booking link. So I hope to see you very soon. Hello and welcome to another episode of Holistic Health Chats. This is another episode or I suppose part three, you could say, in the preconception and pregnancy series. And in this episode, we're going to be talking all about the oral glucose tolerance test or the OGTT, which you might have heard it referred to as. So if you haven't heard of it before, The oral glucose tolerance test forms part of the standard of care. So the standard of care being basically the standard set of recommendations that are referred to you or recommended to you, I should say, depending on your current health situation. So say, for example, the oral glucose tolerance test can be used for lots of different purposes, but in pregnancy at least, which is what we're talking about in this series, the oral glucose tolerance test is referred to or is part of the standard of care for women when they are at around 26 to 28 weeks of gestation or pregnancy. And the purpose behind this test is to screen for gestational diabetes, which is, of course, really important to know if you have that. Now, 
I've been talking a little bit online and if you follow me on Instagram, you might have seen this around, you know, in which situations might we not want to be doing an oral glucose tolerance test or in which situations might might we be better suited to other options. And my whole purpose behind talking about these topics is because really often option A is part of the standard of care, but in a lot of situations, there's also options B, C, and D. And depending on your personal health situation, you actually might be better suited to one of those options. But what I found in my personal experience, but also in working with clinic uh, in clinic with clients is that if you don't know these other options exist, then quite frankly, it's very common that they are not offered to you. And I do see a great problem with that because all of us have very different health situations and all of us have very different, I suppose, values and things of what we're comfortable with essentially. And I just think that it's not right to group us all into the same basket and be treating us the same. You know, if I were to say, I don't know, I'm giving an example here, but let's just say treat all my clients with heavy periods, the exact same treatment, it wouldn't work, right? Because for all of them, there's a very different health situation going on and there could be a different underlying cause. So, you know, we just cannot be applying black and white recommendations across the board because it's just quite frankly not applicable. So I'm going to explain in this episode a bit about what the oral glucose tolerance test is, in what situations might it not be valid, and also kind of the validity around the testing. So how many carbohydrates you have to be eating to even get an accurate test reading and all this kind of thing, which isn't often discussed. And then we can also talk about some alternative options as well. So I do have a little something in the works for preconception and early pregnancy, people who may not be, you know, my one-on-one clients, but are wanting support in this area. So I do have a little something coming out for you, which I think will be announced next week. I'm recording this on a Saturday and I think it will be next week. So keep your eyes out for it. There is something in the pipeline for you. But anyway, we're talking about the oral glucose tolerance test. So we'll get back to that. So as I said, the oral glucose tolerance test is a test performed at around 26 to 28 weeks. So normally if you're seeing say a doctor or a midwife before this time in pregnancy, this is when they're going to be giving you the referral for this gestational diabetes screening. And say in my personal situation, um, what happened was I had my appointment with my doctor and she said, oh, next, um, appointment, I will give you the referral for that test. So that's how it was presented to me. And I said to her, oh, well, actually I've done X, Y, and Z. So I'm not going to be doing that test. And then she was fine with it. She was like, oh, okay, no worries. I can see that you would be low risk. You don't have to do it. Of course, it's my choice anyway. But what I'm saying here is that unless you know these other options are available um, and have the right language to use with that clinician, you know, you may not be offered these other options. So the test itself involves drinking 75 grams of glucose solution. So for reference, because we're not all, you know, all over grams and things with carbohydrates, this is equal to 18 teaspoons of sugar. So you have to sit there and drink 18 teaspoons of sugar in a liquid. 
which is a lot, <laughs> and also equivalent to two cans of Coke. So you sit there in the pathology lab and you drink this sugary solution. And then what happens over a two hour period is that your blood sugar response is measured. And the purpose behind this test is to really see how effectively your body is clearing glucose from the blood. Now, a few things I want to talk about here. So we can be assessing your risk prior to this point in time, but in saying that it is natural for you to become slightly more insulin resistant, or we would say carbohydrate intolerant during pregnancy where your blood sugar is slightly higher than normal. And that is a normal physiological adaptation of pregnancy to actually allow for more nutrients to be passed through to the baby. So that is normal. It's supposed to happen. Where I think we run into issues is if there's an underlying either genetic component or an underlying blood sugar issue. And then of course, when we have this physiological adaptation going on, we are more prone to getting gestational diabetes. So some clinicians or health practitioners will argue that, you know, it is this crucial time around 26 to 28 weeks when women will, you know, air quotes, develop gestational diabetes because this is the key point at which they become more insulin resistant. And, you know, some people I've even heard say health professionals or people who are well-versed in this area, that it is not something you have control over. And it's just something that happens to you. Now, I really, really, really disagree with this sentiment because we know that um, very, very effectively gestational diabetes can be managed and you can essentially go from having it one day to, I'm not going to say not having it, but really well managing it the next day. And the key is your diet. So I'm so sorry, but if you're saying then that the opposite is true, that your diet has no impact, well, then this method of managing it, frankly, wouldn't work. So it's just ridiculous to say that your diet has no impact when it certainly, certainly does. So what I'm saying here is that, yes, you are going to become naturally more insulin resistant during pregnancy, which is going to put you at a higher risk. But those risk factors essentially need to be there from the get-go to create gestational diabetes is what I'm trying to say. Now, for this test to be valid, um, you actually need to be eating a minimum of 150 grams of carbohydrates per day across the board, sort of like leading up to the test. So if you're someone who follows, say, like a slightly lower carbohydrate diet, this isn't keto, this is an extremely low carb, but I'm talking like maybe you have one meal a day that's low carb. And to put this into context, like you might have, say, an omelet for breakfast, most days, which doesn't have much carbohydrate in it. And then maybe you have like a big salad bowl at lunch with a little bit of rice, half a cup-ish, say, or a cup even. And then maybe you have like a little bit of potato or sweet potato with dinner. You probably naturally sit under that 150 grams. I'm not calculating it, of course, on, on your particular diet, but let's just use that as a broad example. You would sit under that 150 gram of carbohydrates per day, given that sort of rough example, which would mean that you have what's called high risk of a false positive reading from the oral glucose tolerance test. Now, what that means is that because you you don't eat a lot of carbohydrate to begin with, your body's quite used to producing a certain amount of insulin each time you eat because it kind of goes, okay, I know, you know, roughly we're getting say um, 20, 30 grams of carbohydrates in per meal. I know how many sort of units of insulin I need to produce um, in order to account for this um, blood sugar rise each time this person eats, right? So that's happening all the time in your body. And then all of a sudden you have this big, big influx of sugar. So 75 grams all in one go. And 
your body's not going to be very good at clearing that from your blood, which is going to mean that you have a higher chance of having a false positive oral glucose tolerance test. So hopefully that makes sense. So the key areas or reasons why, you know, doing an oral glucose tolerance test might not be the best option for you. As I said, is if you follow a slightly lower carbohydrate diet, my next thing would be, and you know, if you're working with me in a one-on-one capacity, we've definitely done this. um, We assess your blood sugar control really early in pregnancy. If we've done preconception care, preconception work, we've looked at things then, but we've also reassessed it in trimester one. So key blood tests we would be looking at would be fasting insulin test and an HbA1c test to confirm your risk level that you have good blood sugar control. And say, for example, in that particular point in time, like in your trimester one or your preconception bloods, we've ascertained that you actually don't have very good blood sugar control and there's some work to be done there. That's a really important thing to find out because you can actually put some really proactive steps in place to make sure you minimize and hopefully actually don't develop gestational diabetes at all, right? So that's where that early testing is really, really important. A, to get an understanding of your risk level and perhaps opt for a different testing or monitoring method for GD, but also to uh, determine if you do have that higher risk level and what we can do for essentially, you know, there's quite a few months that we have between trimester two and, and um, trimester one, pardon me, and that OGTT um, testing point. So yeah, there's a lot that we can do in that period if if that is the case. And the other thing that's important to mention here is that say with something like HbA1c, which is more widely accepted now as uh, sort of a risk factor, I suppose, in testing in TRI1, it's really important that it is tested in trimester one, because as your blood volume increases during pregnancy, that is called hemodilution. So basically like the heme component in your blood and the blood in general, you're you're growing in volume. That HbA1c is going to become less accurate because it is naturally going to decline during pregnancy. So say that means that if we were not testing it in trimester one and testing it late tri two or around that 26 mark, which is sort of late tri two, then you could look like you have really good blood sugar control when in actual fact that marker is just no longer accurate and it's more dilute in solution. So hopefully that makes sense that it is really important that we're looking at in try one to get that accurate reading. Overall, from a logical perspective, if you have good blood sugar control and there's little risk, especially, you know, we can tell a lot about someone's risk based off their diet as well. Like if I'm to look at someone's day on a plate, I can really see quite quickly, you know, high risk, medium risk, low risk. And to me, logically, it just makes no sense when you are doing all that you can to be healthy and provide optimal health to your baby that you would sit there and drink the equivalent grams of sugar of two cans of Coke. Like that just makes no sense to me, particularly if your day-to-day nutrition is coming nowhere near close to that volume of sugar. So I am not saying that everyone should be saying no to the oral glucose tolerance test. What I am saying is that it's really important to understand what your risk level is and to make informed decisions essentially from there. So when an oral glucose tolerance test, and I'm putting in, you know, air quotes might be the best option because we still have other options for assessing our blood sugar um, risk or our GD risk. If there's any already underlying history, so say you already have insulin resistance, or you already have PCOS caused by insulin resistance, or you have a familial history of gestational diabetes, 
you know you have high HbA1c already and try one, or you have the risk factors for GD, which include overweight, high insulin, high HbA1c. Okay. So if these risk factors are present, this is when it might be more of a viable testing option. But there are still other options that we can look at, which is what we're going to talk about now. So as I said, my first, if we have time available, if you're not already at that sort of crunch time of late try two or even try three, then ideally what we're looking at doing is, you know, preconception or trimester one, we're doing a full assessment of your overall health, but also blood sugar. So we're looking at markers like HbA1c and you're looking for a reading of 5.3% or under. We're looking at fasting insulin, and you're looking at a three to five marker for that. Other things we might look at as well to assess your overall metabolic health would include things like blood lipids, um, fasting blood glucose, and CRP and things like that. But for the purpose of blood sugar, it's really fasting blood glucose, HbA1c, and fasting insulin. We get a really clear understanding of where you're sitting based off of those markers. So in an ideal world, we're doing that at that point in time. If you haven't done those, another great, really easy option is to consider um, at-home glucose monitoring. So this is really, really easy to do. And all it involves is taking a blood sugar reading upon waking when you first wake up in the morning. So you're getting your fasting blood glucose and you're looking for a reading of around five for that. Otherwise, you're looking at a um, what's called postprandial blood glucose reading. So this just means after eating. And you're looking at around two hours after eating, wanting to measure that. And that will give you a really clear understanding of whether the meals that you're eating are too high in carbohydrate for your body and your body actually can't tolerate those or whether what you're doing is working really well day to day for you. And the really simple fix is to look at your overall meal structure, what I call macronutrient balance, the key factor that is going to be impacting your blood glucose response to meals is the breakdown of your carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. Now, if they're off, then you are going to have what is called a poor blood sugar response to that or like a a high blood glucose reading. So we can really easily tell that in doing at-home glucose monitoring, it's not like you have to measure yourself every single day throughout your whole pregnancy or anything like that. It's just a great tool to use to assess how you're responding to food and I suppose to clear up any doubts you may have as well to get that peace of mind. Other things to be aware of that can impact our blood sugar, our sleep. So if you've had a really bad sleep, perhaps if this is not your first baby, that will negatively negatively impact your blood sugar readings. So um, it's really important that you look at all of these factors and actually control for them. So in this exciting thing that I have coming out in a few weeks, we're going to, I'm going to basically like help you to understand and unpack all of that information so you can do that at home glucose monitoring, if that's something you wish to do. So that is it for this episode, a nice short and sweet one where we went through the glucose tolerance test and alternative methods. There is one more test as well, which is often used or can be used called a fructosamine testing. So it's less invasive and you can usually ask for a referral that, for that from your midwife or even your GP. And again, that's just coming back to understanding what your options are, that there's nearly always another option other than option 
A, but you just need to know that these exist. And the other really important takeaway from this episode is that you need to understand your risk level for certain things as well. So not accepting, you know, what is put in front of you. I think that's really, really important to go, okay, well, this is one option, but what are the risks associated with that? What's the validity of that particular thing? And then, you know, what are my other options? And am I more suited to something like that? This is something that I work with my clients on in clinic, obviously not swaying them one way or the other, but just presenting them with all the different options that they can consider. So that is it for this episode. If you have any questions at all, come over and find me on Instagram. You can find me there. My handle is Celine Douglas underscore nutrition. And I would love to hear from you if you have any questions about this episode. Thank you for listening to this episode of Holistic Health Chats. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be so grateful if you could leave me a rating and review in iTunes, as this allows me to help more women just like you. Holistic Health Chats is not intended to replace medical advice, so please consult with your practitioner before making any changes to your current health. If you are ready to take your health to the next level and would like some personalized support, the next step is booking in for a complimentary health chat. Please head to selendouglas.com forward slash book for more information.